Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. If you are enjoying the show, and I hope you are, I wanted to mention our Patreon because that is the best thing that you can do to support the show if you are so inclined. Patrons get access to every podcast a week early without any of the ads. There's also members-only channels in the Discord that I am super active in. I do Q&As, I do some giveaways, and for everyone who has asked, there's also a way to have me review your music or artwork or anything else that you would like to get my eyes or ears on. Every month, I do a call for submissions on Patreon. You post your work in the comments, and then I will review it live on Twitch and then post them to YouTube for everybody on Patreon as well. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, there's a link to that in the show notes for this podcast. That was like the coolest glitch glitchcore song. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. It was amazing. It sounded like you had some like super like bit crushed synth loop playing. I was like hearing that too. It sounded sounded pretty beautiful. It was cool. I'm going to sample that for my my slam EP. Let's do it. I'm a I saw you're uh, producing some heaters now, huh? I'm working on it. Yeah. Exciting. stuff. Well, thanks for uh, making time for this. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Guess uh, to start with, tell us what you're up to. I know you've got uh, this Belmont tour coming up kind of soon. What else do you have going on? Yeah. So got that tour coming up in what, six days. And then we have uh, album rollout. So we dropped the first single, like what, a week ago or something. The song Fricked Over. And then... We got the second single coming out while I'm on tour. And then we're doing like pretty much a single every month, like a month from Fricked Over on that date next month. Like, so for five months, we're going to have single, 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 and then full album on the fifth month. And then a bunch of videos, a bunch of cool working on, like we got like a whole warehouse full of new clothes that we've been working on, you know, getting good features, some uh, working on some cool beats for friends, uh, all that kind of stuff. Lots of lots of fun activities. Staying busy. Well, I have a lot of questions, but I actually don't know that much about you. I've been listening to your music for years, but I don't know that much about you as a human. Tell us a little bit about like your origin story. Are you like a you know metalcore kid like Charlie, or what is your no. what is your what's your kind of your background? Yep, you got me. Uh, exactly that, like metalcore. It was like background of, you know, got a guitar, like fifth grade dude in the neighborhood was like, I'll teach you. And then pulled up there and he was trying to teach me to read sheet music of the Beatles. 
that wasn't very lit. Like, where are the breakdowns? Yeah, I was like, I, I don't know how to real, read tabs. Like, can't we just read tabs? And he's like, no. Then went in band, like in school, and then played like the upright bass and electric bass, learned bass clef. And then joined a bunch of different metal bands, got kicked out of a bunch of metal bands because uh, they wanted to play Raining Blood and I didn't really want to play Raining Blood. Then, yeah, uh, got into like the drum and bass scene. Uh, interesting enough, there was like a drum and bass scene in the Appalachians in North Carolina. And I got into them, like all the stuff they're doing, they're like smoking like DMT and all that crazy stuff, <laughs> making love music. And I was just like, I didn't hear that stuff before, so it was exciting. And then I got like a friend gave me a ticket to a Bass Nectar show. I didn't know who Bass Nectar was. And then I went and I was just like, whoa, this is like crazy. I didn't know music had this low of a bass. Like never heard that. Because, you know, when you go to metal shows, you don't hear like loud subs. And right. like remember when uh, they started using like the stomp pedals to like hit the 808 midi notes live and like that blew everyone away yeah so seeing bass nectar with like all those hundreds of speakers or whatever was like unreal yeah that got me like into the wanting to make like sub heavy music and then my friend gave me ableton and that was like i think i was like 22 at that time at least so i started really late with production and whatnot and then uh kind of just started going from there Got it. There's a lot of questions that uh, I want to ask about there, but the production thing is one kind of thing that I was interested in. You know, I've talked to a lot of people kind of in your scene and you seem to be the most like technical as far as production goes. You seem to kind of really, you know, nerd out about that kind of side of things. A lot of people just, and there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of people just like download a beat from YouTube or something, or, you know, some uh, sample packs or something, which is totally cool. But you geek out, you know, I watched your Instagram video about your vocal chain and stuff. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So it was like the first thing that I did with all this was, you know, learning how to make like sub music and like drum and bass type stuff. Wasn't very good at it, but it was like fun for me. And then so I got into the production for other artists that were like rappers and mostly rap world. And um, it was like 2013, 2014, like making really bad beats for those guys. And I just thought that was super fun. So I was like getting really into just like learning how to do it. And then it hit a point where there was like this one specific moment where I had this beat that I thought was amazing. Like I loved it and I gave it to someone to rap on or whatever and got it back. And I was just like, I think I could do better. Like, I feel like I could try on this. And so I did and it wasn't very good, but it was like, it was different. It was like cool to me to like be able to like try to like put vocals on something instead of just produce for somebody. It was like, you know, Black Cray and like Goth Money. Mm -hmm. So I was like doing the very droney vocals. It might still be on YouTube somewhere. It might be scrubbed from the internet. I don't know. Yeah, that was when the vocals started getting put into it. I always like thought DJ Khaled was cool. I know he's like a meme, but like I wanted to be like DJ Khaled of the underground, like just make hard beats for everyone. I wanted to make like everyone's biggest song, this and that. And now kind of like don't really care for that as much because that's like a whole different world, like producing and trying to like have a career is just producing. It's like, well, you do still produce for a lot of people, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I don't put like nearly as much time into producing for other people as I do for myself anymore. Cause it's just like, you get a lot more out of music if you kind of stick to using your time management for things right. that are 
for yourself rather than others. And that's just kind of like is what it is. Right. Yeah. You, you, you can't serve two masters, really. Yeah. And then you're mixing and mastering everybody else's music. And then, you know, you don't want to like charge the homies and then. But you, you know, have to. Yeah. Like it's just it's a whole thing. You know, I think a lot of producers and people, especially the people that produce and make their own music, too, like they kind of like know what I'm saying between the lines with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But it seems like, you know, producing for so many other people probably helped you grow a lot as a musician. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I'm I'm very, uh, very grateful for everybody that I was able to work with in the past. It was all good experiences, good learning experiences. I learned so much from uh, just doing that in general. And, you know, especially like working with other artists that also produce like Fatsy, like he taught me like literally him Fatsy, Polearm, and Anxiety Attacks like taught me everything I know when it comes to like audio engineering. That's the side of thing a lot of people don't understand. It's one thing to make a beat, you know, in Ableton or, you know, FL or whatever, but recording shit is a whole other skill set. Yeah. And then after recording it, like having it and mixing it down yeah. and then mastering it and then like making sure it actually bangs live is like a whole different skill set too. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you seem, you seem pretty good at that. I didn't realize that, uh, that Charlie was as into that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was really like holding it down, like for, for a long time, like, like for the past, you know, four or five years, we've been friends. Like he's taught me literally everything. I'll go to him with tracks. I'd be like, how do I do this? Like, and when he was mixing and mastering, I would just sit next to him and be like, how are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And then I would do that for like, with fat scene, I would do that with like anxiety attacks and pull arm and they would just like really put me on game. And then, so I just like took little bits of everything okay. I learned from them. And then that's like how I learned to do it for my own music. Got it. So how long have you been doing this as like your full-time paying the bills thing? Um, Probably. So uh, like full-time, full-time. The last time I worked like something else was like, I was a vet tech in Hollywood in like 2018 and it was just because like i was like man i like i don't know I, I thought i wanted to be a veterinarian so i like applied to a bunch of places and this one guy like let me come work there but it got like we had like a couple days that were just super dark depressing so i like stopped and it wasn't necessarily like i had to work there to like pay the bills i just thought it was something i wanted to do on top right i don't think that anymore but the last like i was doing like craigslist jobs like 2016 2017 and then like 2018 it started to like do a little bit better got it so you've been doing it for a while my cousin by the way she like passed the exam to be like a vet and everything and then she bailed because she realized she was gonna have to euthanize animals and she was like i can't fucking do it yep so she quit yep and the, the freezer in the back i'm sure she knows about that yeah so it's it's tough because you know she just loves animals, but unfortunately, you know, there's the dark stuff too. But yeah, so you've been doing this for a while, and uh, I guess you have like a manager and stuff now, but I'm sure you didn't at the beginning. Um, and it seems like you're still super hands-on with everything in terms of like the visuals and merch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And I feel like this is the model, it's part of what I find so inspiring about what you and Fatsy and you know Shinigami and just a lot of the people in your scene do is like. You guys are all so entrepreneurial and, you know, you're so hands-on with everything and, and everything that comes out feels like it is one part of the same like 
creative vision. Like your fingerprints are on everything. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's super important to like us, like pretty much everyone you just mentioned for it to be like that. Um, Cause it, it very quickly can get away from you if you aren't specific about what you want, especially if you start getting involved with, you know, management or labels and they, you know, they'll try to put you in with whoever and just expect like it to be good. But, you know, like deep down, like I feel like a lot of musicians, like they, you started making music cause you like knew what you wanted to make. You, you got excited at certain sounds and like certain songs would just make you feel like euphoric and holding on to that, like realization that you know what's best and not someone else just because they might have more credentials or done something bigger than you've ever done. That doesn't mean that linking up with them, you're going to make something better than you can make by yourself. So right. I think like all of us kind of know that and we've experienced that in different ways. With the album art and merch and stuff, you know, they'll put you with their photographer or designer because, you know, I mean, that's who they know or whatever. That doesn't mean it's right for you. That person might be great, but they might not be great for you. Yeah. Especially like the, the vision, like it's, it's really simple of like, just do you have a congruent vision? And most of the time, the people that you have a congruent vision with, you've already kind of established with. And, you know, sometimes you get really lucky and like you find someone that's just like, it just clicks and it works. And like, I got really lucky uh, working with this newer producer, like this year and last year, that's just like, we just like click and it's like two, three hours, whole new song done. And it's like fire. But those are like very rare moments. So you kind of like hold on to them when they happen. And now you do have, you know, a manager, you know, you have some people to work with and stuff, but you're able to, I mean, tell me if this is right, but like, you're able to, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to say this in a shitty way, but it's like, I think a lot of with, for a lot of people, it's almost like I talk to them and it's like, it feels like they work for the manager, not the other. They're like, oh yeah, well, my manager won't let me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your manager, you pay him. Yeah. Like you need to be able to direct the manager, you know, that like it's their job to execute what you, you know, lay out your vision. And the fact that you did it yourself and, and were so hands-on with everything means that you're going to be able to communicate your vision to a team in a way that someone might not be able to, if they'd never done it themselves. Yeah. And that's a learning experience too. You know, um, I, the managers I work with now are amazing and they're the third managers I've worked with. I've had two others that just didn't work out. We didn't have the same vision. Uh, and when you know, you know, it's it's just like having that, like just how would you get euphoric with the the music? Like if you don't feel that synergy with a manager or with a label or like anybody in general in the world, but especially like in your career and your music career, it's super important not to like delay it and like just be like, okay, this doesn't feel right like exit out like that's not it and like the you know no shade to anybody i've worked with in the past but like the managers that i worked with before like before my current managers i told them like straight up like this is what i want i want like a manager that'll do this and this and this for me like if that's you we can work together that's great and they told me you will never find that and so i said okay like we went our separate ways took like a year and a half two years but then i found exactly that and like they're incredible yeah and you really got to trust your gut like you said if if you know i mean almost anything in life if it doesn't feel right it's not yeah it's super simple and it's like your your heart might complicate it or your mind might either one you think it might be but it's like that gut feeling you just have to trust it yeah yeah 
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like shadows. Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. You know, you have a lot of emotion in your music and you do talk about some of this stuff, but like a lot of people in your genre give off kind of a dysfunctional fuck up kind of vibe where you don't, you know, you, you, you talk about, you know, mental health and drugs and shit in your music, but you don't, have that kind of train wreck vibe like some of them do. How much of that is a part of your music? Is that you're also a little bit older than a lot of people? Tell me about that. Yeah, so I feel like the 93 Project, like you kind of watched me go through it, right? Like a lot of people probably listening to this, like you've seen, you might have listened to the music when I was talking about doing drugs and like very transparently down bad. And now it's not like that anymore. And it's kind of like learning and growing and getting away from negativity and things that drag you down. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's like the whole point of this new album I'm working on. Like the lyrics are very conscious about 
not harking on negativity, being mm-hmm. consciously aware of, you know, maybe like the dark stuff that might have got you to this point, but now it's like better. It's like it's it's a brighter, more forward thinking, productive, conscious experience of, you know, going through life. And yeah, it's like everybody goes through a lot of difficult things. Like we've all had our our own experiences with pain and suffering and it doesn't have to like stay like that and that's kind of like the point of all the the new music I'm making because there was a moment when it was like I didn't I didn't try to like get here to this like I wasn't like I can't wait to like be popular I can't wait for everyone to listen to my music it was literally just uh like a therapy a therapy it was like a therapeutic release and just explosion of energy, whatever, to like get it out there. And so I think that's like my early fans that caught on to that, they were going through the similar things that I was. And now it's it's really just completely different. It's like that growth and like the character storyline arc has completely changed. And that's probably why I don't seem like as much of a train wreck <laughs> anymore. Right. Well, I've I've seen that from a lot of people and it's actually awesome to see because, you know, I'm older than all of you guys and I've been through all that shit too. And it was troubling seeing so many people. I mean, a lot of the people doing this stuff, I mean, I'll call it emo rap. I think that's kind of a dumb term, but whatever. I'll, I'll say that a lot of people doing that kind of music were so young, you know, and I would see like these like 18, 19 year old kids who are obviously really talented and so creative, just like going through the shit, you know, um, say whatever, five, six, seven years ago when it's kind of like starting. And it was like really troubling to me because I, you know, I know where that leads and unfortunately did lead for a lot of people. But now there's people, you know, like you or Lotus or whoever who have made it out the other side, you know, or or so it seems, hopefully. And that makes me really happy to see. Yeah. It's it's really great to see everyone that has managed to make it to the other side and it's very unfortunate for those that didn't because it really is like a a roll of the dice you know everyone that was going through that back then and i will say like times have severely changed especially with like culture of the music like the emo rap culture you know in 2012 2013 people were doing things that were unhealthy yeah but i don't think that there was really like there wasn't too much of like uh, guidance from like the older generation to be like, yo, like this is why that's not cool. It was kind of just like, you're stupid. Like if you got any anybody that was telling you like why it was bad, you kind of feel like a knee jerk reaction because it didn't hit as close to home and have such a cultural impact as it did now. Like we've seen where that's led for people and it's right. super unfortunate. And, and it's also like, you know, there's lots of drugs going on and it was also culturally cool at that time like it it still is in hip-hop you know for people to talk about doing perks or whatever this that and in 2010 fentanyl was not getting put in every single thing on the street nowadays it is and it's like we see where that's led and it's it's like it's crazy just like how much has changed um and it's unfortunate like how bad you know like it, it sucks like how it was cool to suffer together for a time there. Like in the 2015, it seemed like 2016 is like, everyone was like going through it, but we were going through it together. So it was mm-hmm. like a kind of like a mutual understanding. 
And now that's 2022. It's like, that was not it. We mutually understand that that was bad. And like the kids growing up now, like they know that shit's not cool. Right. I never took it the way that a lot of people did. They, a lot of people saw that stuff and are like, oh, they're glorifying it. I never took it that way because I, I can see it for what it is, which is like really young kids dealing with mental health issues. And, you know, I mean, I did this, I did the same shit. I mean, I talked about it earlier on the stream. Like, I mean, I, I was like, wanted to kill myself every 10 minutes. That's when I was like drinking and doing drugs all the time, because it's like, because, you know, that's something that people do. So I never took it as people glorifying it. I just took it as people like struggling. So I maybe had a little bit of a different perspective on it, but it's just, you know, it just worries me to see. And I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm happy to see that the culture has changed. Do you still like, how do you feel playing or listening to that older music now? I don't. Yeah. I can't like, I can't stand to listen to it. It's dark and maybe glorification is a bad term, maybe just normalization. And that might be a better word for it. Right. Uh, but no, I, I don't listen to anything that I used to listen to. And it, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like how smells will bring you back to like memories. It's the same mm-hmm. thing for audio. Like it'll bring you back to like feelings that you might not want to feel anymore. Yeah. There's some songs I can't listen to. They're great songs. I love them. They're fantastic, but I can't listen to them because it takes me back to a place that just is, is too painful. And I can only imagine if I wrote the song that it would even be, you know, a stronger connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you hear from like people that have been around listening to your stuff for a long time, as far as that goes? Like, I mean, are there people that, you know, tell you like, Oh, I liked your old stuff better. You know, do you get any of that? Or do you feel like people have grown with you? Yeah, I definitely get that a little bit. Um, and I also get the other, the other side of it that like have grown with me. I literally got a DM the other day that was like, dude, I stopped listening to you in 2018, 2019, whatever. And like listening to the old stuff would bring me back to like those dark times. But I just listened to your new music, like the Safubi Deluxe and whatnot. And I really like resonate with how much growth is there. And like, I personally can relate to that now. And I think that's like the coolest, that's like the coolest thing right there is just to be able to connect and, uh, you know, both be in a better place and like understand that. Yeah. When I listen to your music, like Sofubi to me, it was like a big like turning point. When I listen to that stuff, to me, it's just like creativity is the energy that I pick up on there. Like that album, especially is like every song is almost like a different genre. Um, the, I don't even know how to say the name of the song, like 100 or whatever. That's yeah. my favorite one. Cause it's just so fucking weird. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. It was like, that was the whole point of the album too. Cause I was, you know, I was in a moment of, of my life where I didn't know what to do. Cause I, like I was saying earlier, like music was a release and now I was like, okay, like I feel good now. Like, what am I going to make music about? Like, what am I going right. to do? So the whole Safubi thing was literally like pretty consciously trying to make a song in every different genre and every different type of feeling just to like try it out and see how it felt. I think, you know, the drum and bass kind of influence is interesting because there aren't that many people these days. I mean, I was into that stuff when it was new, like in the 90s, um, and there aren't that many younger people really that care about it now. So that's like really interesting to hear that kind of influence on that album. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff is very... uh it was like very influential to me. I just never like heard it. Like the first time I heard 808s was skating at a uh, skating rink called Jelly Beans in North Carolina. So I heard uh, they had a big subwoofer and they would play like the Crunk 2000 era, uh-huh. like, <laughs> Gone, Yin Yang Twins. And that to me was the greatest. And then kind of like 
you know, I didn't even have a subwoofer. So then the next time I heard it was like that drum and bass dubstepy type stuff. And like, I just loved it. I remember the first time I heard drum and bass, I don't remember what it was, but some like kind of, you know, nineties, like amen break kind of stuff. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like I'd already been listening to death metal for years. So I was listening to like extreme stuff, but the drum and bass stuff is, was just such a wild, fresh sound. Yeah. There was a YouTube channel called like UHF dubstep or UKF dubstep. And I would run it into the ground. Yeah. It's cool. And like the, the bass music scene in general, like it's an interesting kind of community. Like you mentioned bass nectar. It's an interesting community because there's so much crossover with like, you know, metal and hardcore and stuff. Like, did you ever hear Bass Nectar's death metal band? No, what's it called? Pale Existence. No, I don't think I have. They're good. He was like in high school. It's from like 94, 95. It's really good. I'll have to check that out after this. Yeah, and like Pendulum and Excision. And like, there's so many of the people, so many of the artists. Like, I would say almost the majority of the artists in that scene, at least from like my generation and stuff, were almost all like metal guys first. And you can, it kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah, it's that extreme that, high energy basically yeah exactly and then there's like people like sullivan king and kazo and stuff now doing the i don't know what they would call it like you know i call it headbanger dubstep yeah and it's it's interesting to see Art that style. yeah it's interesting to see that scene in the same way as like people think that emo rap is rap and it's not it has nothing to do with rap like it's not part of rap culture you know it has nothing there's zero like rap fans don't give a fuck about you know any of this stuff. I almost feel like with bass music, it's almost more of a part of metal culture than it is like electronic music culture in a lot of ways. Yeah. Cause there's like a stark difference between like Aphex Twins or um, Postal Service electronic music and the hardcore, hard hitting bass music. That's yeah. like that stuff like crosses over a lot more to like the metal scene for sure. Yeah, that stuff is scary to Postal Service fans. Yeah, yeah, I was a huge Postal Service fan. Yeah, they're great, but it's just a very, it's very, just very different energy. So yeah. I, I think to me, what I respond to, like I'm genre agnostic. I don't care what genre something is. I just respond to the energy. Yeah, same. And I think it's cool that, you know, now compared to when I was, you know, when I was in high school or whatever, you could only like, one genre of music. You certainly couldn't make more than one genre of music, which is so funny. And now I feel like, especially with like, you know, the kids that are teenagers now, they're totally, they don't give a fuck about genres and they don't expect artists to be, to have a genre either. Like you can put out a metalcore album next month and I think people would love it. Yeah. And especially when you're like a kid or like in middle school, high school, your genre of music that you're a fan of is also like parlayed to your identity. So right. people love to as humans, we love to put definitions to things and put things in the boxes. So like, I get it. But once you get, I feel like, dude, especially like you were saying, like now the kids, the kids nowadays, like they grew up with so much more access to music than we did. Like uh, you probably were there with me, like in Barnes and Noble, scanning barcodes, listening to like 30 second previews of songs off of course, yeah. pop music, right? Now yeah. you have Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Google. We didn't have that. Like, nowadays like there's so much more exposure which is really really cool yeah and back when i was in high school you know you you'd buy a cd and you know you don't have much money so you have to listen to that cd like whether you like it or not yeah. which is good and bad you know because there was some stuff that i didn't like at first but i was like well i paid for this i'm going to force myself to like it yeah and then i eventually learned to appreciate it whereas now if something doesn't grab you in like literally five seconds 
on TikTok, you're like, yep, next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back then too, is like uh, realizing like the personal taste is like valid. And it's like, wait, not every song is actually good. Like I'm not tripping because I don't like this song. Right. Like, I don't have to. Right. Yeah. So how, how does that feel as an artist to sort of, you know, to know that you have permission to do whatever you want? It's great. Um, it's really great. That's exactly why, you know, I'm not in a band. It's like all solo music. Like, you know, if I need help on the road or like if I need a live band, like I can I can make that happen. But I don't have to consider, you know, two, three, four, five people's idea of what 93 Feet of Smoke music sounds like. Like, it's just what I want to do. Right. How important is touring or playing shows to you? It's it's pretty important. It, it was super like super important to when I was starting out, like I didn't know what I was doing, but I think it kind of like helped get my name out there and like helped locally, at least just like people finding out what I was doing and like whatever influence I might've had or like cultural impact, like made like groups of friends with it and like put a bunch of shows together with other people doing it. So it was super important just for like the culture of the early 93 stuff from like the 2015 era. Very important. Nowadays, it's like, um, I see touring as kind of like a next ladder I have to climb because as a SoundCloud derivative, essentially, like I come from SoundCloud, then I branched into Spotify, like very consciously only promoting Spotify links, trying to get up on that. And then it's like, once you get into the touring world and you came from SoundCloud, like it's starting at square one again, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to prove yourself, like, especially with the art of like inflated numbers that we see across different platforms like SoundCloud or Spotify, depending on, you know, if you got different plugs here and there, uh, you can look a lot bigger than you actually are. And I think that's a thing that kind of happens is we play a lot of karaoke music as SoundCloud music, right. uh, SoundCloud rappers, whatever you want to call it. So for touring, you kind of have to like prove yourself again. Like you had to prove yourself to get up on Spotify. Like you had to at first prove yourself to get up on SoundCloud. Yeah. And I think the people who come from the, you know, rock and metal world that played in bands have a big advantage there because there's some of these SoundCloud rapper people that I have seen, and I don't want to name names, but some of them are like pretty successful, very respected in that world. And I saw them live and they were like, shockingly bad and i realized like oh this guy has never played a show before were you saying for soundcloud people or, or bands like soundcloud people oh yeah but i could sure. i was like oh you've never pl- i i see you've never played a show before that's why you suck at it yeah for sure but you can look huge and and do this person does very well super respected og in the soundcloud rap world but didn't play in bands and you can tell yep you always can tell yeah and the other thing that's interesting, I saw this with the MySpace bands, um, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, they would have millions and millions of plays and fans and blah, 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 but they would draw 50 people. And I was like, what? This is like, I don't understand. And then I realized, oh, it's because their fans are all 14 mm-hmm. and they can't go to a show in the city on a Wednesday night Yeah, because their fans are all in ninth grade and they live in the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah, especially with the MySpace music era. Which isn't a bad thing. I'm not putting them down. It's just, it was just interesting. That's the first time where, you know, someone could be really popular and successful in, you know, in this one arena online, but that doesn't translate into, you know, playing shows. Cause I was used to like, oh, well, if you sell a lot of records, that means you're going to draw 
at shows too. And that's the first time that started to kind of not be true anymore. Yeah. So if you're, you know, and I mean this with like love, but like as someone, if if you're pulling up crazy numbers on different online platforms, you have to be very cautious at the same time to accept different shows, play different shows because right. you know that might affect your optics. You can't pull up, have a million monthly listeners and sell 10 tickets. But it's right. it's a very common thing, like with the different playlists and you know, just the way that the these algorithms work, that it's it's very real. Like it, it happens. I saw probably one of the first like five Lil Nas X shows, it was, he was, he was about to play, it was right after Old Town Road came out and he was going to play like the VMAs or something like two weeks later. And I saw him play the Amazon employee picnic <laughs> and uh, it was, it, it was at like a stadium, but it was at like 2 PM on like a Tuesday. And it was so rough. Cause this is all a bunch of like nerdy engineers that have no idea who he is. And it was like the middle of the day and I could tell like he had this like older DJ hype man kind of guy that was kind of almost like telling him what to do, like in a way is like, you know, all right, uh, you know, show him, show him what time it is and sort of like point to that part of the stage. And, and, but I respect him for that because like he could tell, I, you know, that he, he's like, I need to put him, I need to get my reps in, you know? Cause I'm about to go play the VMAs or whatever it was in two weeks. I'm going to go out there and eat shit playing at 2 PM to these Amazon employees, but I got to get out there on a big stage and get used to this. Cause that's what I'm going to be doing from now on. So I respect that. Yeah. It can be very humbling and it's very important. I mean, that is a tough show in the middle of the fucking day to an audience that doesn't know who you are. That's tough. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I will, uh, I will let you get on with your night, but, uh, anything, uh, any parting words of wisdom or stuff you want to promote or anything else before I let you go? Um, good grief. New album coming out probably June, July. We're going to have another single come out middle of uh, March and, uh, yeah, singles every month come through to the Belmont tour. It's going to be great. Full band 93 for the first time ever. And, uh, make sure you like, and subscribe follow twitch for punk rock nba tap into all his content all right i appreciate the plug cool well i appreciate this and uh i will talk to you soon all right thanks so much for having me all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you if you want to help the show there's a couple things that you can do first of all share it on social media if you share it tag us tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.